All right, good deal. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5 and buckle up. All right, uh, <laughs> you'll know why here in just a minute. Um, so while you're turning there, a, a couple weeks ago, to kind of let you know how we got multi-campuses, if you didn't know that, and so uh, we meet each week and we talk about the upcoming sermon because we have live preaching at each campus, uh, and so we don't preach the same sermon per se, but we have the same text and we kind of take it and apply it to our people, and um, so we were in our teaching team meeting a couple weeks ago, and Shane, who is our transitional pastor, shared this story that he called uh, the, the parable of the river or something along those lines. I don't remember the exact name, but <clears throat> I thought it was like so uh, good, such a good lead into our, our topic this morning that like, I was like, I'm going to use it, um, but I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. Um, and so the parable goes something like this. That there was a tribe uh, this, this, that lived in a remote village, and their village was built on the banks of the Amazon River. And uh, this tribe, the, the, you know, they, they built close to the river because in many ways the river sustained their village. It provided them with the food that they needed uh, in the river and then the water to, to grow the crops that they needed. It uh, provided them with, with obviously the water that they needed to sustain their village. Um, but also in this village you know, built next to the river, um, in the river, there was this lurking danger. And so uh, as the, the long story short, generation after generation, would, uh, they knew there was something dangerous about the river. But, but people constantly would, would go to the riverbanks uh, and then they would just never return to the village. Just gone, disappeared. Uh, and, and the leaders of the village, they knew what was in the river, but they just refused to talk about it. Right? They, they refused to acknowledge it. They refused to talk about it. And because of that, generation after generation, there was people who would go down the river who would not return from the river because of this lurking danger that was in the river. And so you've got men, women, children all lost to this danger because no one had the audacity, the courage, the boldness to actually confront it and talk about it for what it was. And so where that brings us to today, the, the obvious question is, okay, well, what was it in the river? Right? What was it that was so dangerous? But that's really not the point of the parable. The point of the parable was that by refusing to talk about the danger, it just led to person after person after person being harmed or, or killed because of this danger in the river. And that brings us to today, right? Because there are certain dangers that we are aware of, uh, that we may even acknowledge are, are dangerous, but we don't actually take the time to talk about them. And because we don't talk about them, generation after generation after generation suffers because of these dangers that we know about, but we don't actually talk about. And so that brings us to the text this morning in Matthew 5, and we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about a couple of dangers that surround us that we know are dangers, but that we don't talk about, and that's lust and divorce. And so we're diving into it this morning, All right? This is why I said you might want to buckle up. 
all right? Um, but before we dive in, let me sort of preface our time together with, with a couple of things. When it, uh, when it, when it comes to, to those issues, lust, divorce, here's what I know. There's not a person in this room that has been completely unaffected by either, right? Not a person in this room. Right? The culture that we live in and sort of over-sexualized in the way it is, there is not a person here that has not uh, faced the realities of, of lust in some capacity, right? Or along the, the same lines, we live in a, in a culture where the divorce rate hovers between 40 and 50%. So there's not a person here that in some capacity has been unaffected by the pain and reality of divorce, right? It, it's there. We, we, so I, I say all that uh, just to say that, man, all of us in here have either stepped on the landmine or we've, uh, someone close to us has stepped on it and we felt the pain of that, right? And so all that to say, like, in some levels, we're on the same page here. Right? Maybe it looks different for everybody in here, but in some levels, like we're all on the same page. We, we've all been affected in some capacity. All right? and then the other thing I want to just preface with is this. Um, if I could just be really candid. Like I have wrestled all week with how to both be faithful to the Bible and yet also preach in a way that... Uh, like, I'm sensitive to the realities in this room, right? Because I, part of my sermon prep process, like, I'm a nerd, so I've got my Bible, I've got my books, my stack of resources, you know, commentaries that I'm looking through. But week in and week out, I preach with, like, your faces in mind. Right? That's part of what it means to be a pastor, right? And so I'm not lost on the reality of, of man, in this room, there's, this is going to land on us in some different ways because we're all in different places, particularly when it comes to this issue of divorce. Right? I, I just know that. And I want to be sensitive to that. But at the same time, my primary responsibility is to preach the Bible as faithfully as I know how and to let the chips fall where they may. And so that's my plan this morning, right? But, but I need help with that, and I think we all as, as a people need help to receive that. Uh, so we're just going to start and pray, and then we're going to jump in, all right? Would you pray with me? Father, I come to you this morning um, as I have prayed all week, uh, and just ask that you would, uh, Lord, help us this morning. Help me to, to faithfully proclaim uh, your word to the best of my ability. Father, I confess that uh, apart from the Bible, I have, I have no authority. I have no message. Lord, your word is the authority. And so I want to preach it boldly and faithfully and unapologetically. And then, Lord, I, I know the realities that, that are at play here in this room. I'm going to be sensitive to that. And so I just pray that, that you would give us uh, the ability to receive your word for what it is as the truth and to respond to it accordingly. I pray that you would, um, Lord, remove any, any walls, any obstacles, any, any distractions that might keep us from hearing 
and receiving and responding to your word this morning. So we pray that your spirit would, would be here present with us uh, in, a, in a very real way. And Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pick right up where we left off last week in verse 27. All right, this is the, the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better than that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So last week, if you were with us, we started a new series uh, called An Elevated Life. And we're just looking through the, the Sermon on the Mount. And kind of where we started last week was we just said that uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus explaining what it looks like to live as a citizen of uh, the earthly kingdom. Right? And so... Um, what we're talking about this morning is, is really God's uh, ethic for, for sexual fidelity in, like, as a citizen of God's kingdom. And so here's, here's kind of the big overarching point uh, this morning that we'll kind of come back to in our time together. Uh, I'm going to read it exactly so I don't butcher it. All right, sexual fidelity in the kingdom of God is faithfulness between one man and one woman committed to one another for life in the covenant of marriage. Right? So if you are married, God intends for you to give yourself fully, commit yourself fully, body, mind, soul, to your spouse. Right? That is God's intent for you if you are married. If you are not married, then God's intended design for you is to abstain from finding sexual fulfillment apart from your spouse one day, if that's the, the path that God leads you in, all right? Now, I know that this is a, like, radical idea in the culture that we live in, right? It's, this is radically opposed to the kingdoms of this world, where the, the conversation would be like, you know, do whatever satisfies you, do whatever makes you happy, do whatever, right? And yet, just bring you back to this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus conveying to his disciples and those who were there that day. This is what it looks like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. So we're not talking about earthly kingdoms here. All right, we're talking about being a citizen of God's kingdom. And so if, if this is the view for, for sexual fidelity in God's kingdom, then any departure or distortion of that is what Jesus would call Adultery. 
Right? Any, any deviation from what, what God says, this is, this is my intention when it comes to sexual fidelity. Any departure from that is what Jesus calls adultery. And he, he's going to address that in two ways, lust and divorce. And so we'll talk about those sort of one at a time. All right, the, the first one that Jesus comes to is lust. Right? That was verse 28. And so just at its core, we talk about lust. What we're, it, what the idea behind that is just this, this desire or uh, longing for something that the Lord has not entrusted to you, right? Or, or to put it uh, another way, it is to desire something in such a way that you cannot obtain it apart from sin. Okay, so... Uh, you, like you, you, it's a desire that you can't fulfill apart from coveting something that is not yours, apart from um, uh, idolizing something, right? Apart from stealing, right? That it's, this is the idea behind lust. It's this desire that you cannot fulfill apart from sin, right? Apart from adultery is what Jesus is talking about here. And so uh, just as last week we talked about Anger and kind of equating that with murder. Jesus is going to follow the same pattern this week. He takes uh, last week with the sixth commandment. This week is the seventh commandment, right? And the commandment is, you shall not commit adultery. And that was verse 27, right? But like, like he did last week, or we talked about last week with anger, Jesus is going to go deeper than just the letter of the law. Right, because the, the letter of the law, if it says you shall not commit adultery, it's like as long as I sleep with, as long as I don't sleep with another uh, man or woman that's not my spouse, then I'm fine. And Jesus is like, no, you're, you're, if that's all this is to you, then you're missing it. And he's going to get to the heart of the command. Right, that's what he he gets to in verse 28 when he says, "But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already." committed adultery with her in his heart. Right? In the, the ethic of God's kingdom, right? to lust after a woman, and, and it's not, this is not just a one-way thing, to lust after a man if you're a woman, okay? To lust after someone that is not your spouse is, is equated with adultery because it is a departure from God's intended design for your sexual fidelity and fulfillment. And so... Jesus equates lust with adultery also because every adulterous act first begins with right, a, a lustful desire in the heart. Right, that's, we talked about this last week with anger. Right, every act of murder begins with some sort of deep-rooted anger in the heart. Right, lust, adultery is the, the same way. This is the, the verse we looked at Last week from James, uh, I'll read it again. He says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In other words, sin always follows a progression. Right? It always starts with some sinful, corrupt desire in our heart that that eventually works its way out to our hands. It was the case with anger we talked about last week. Anger rooted in our heart eventually, uh, if, if it's not killed, can, can work its way out to murder. 
Right? And the same is true here when it comes to, to lust. Right? Lust rooted in our hearts. Like that's the beginning. That's the seed that's planted that grows into adultery. Right? It, it always, so, to put it this way, every adulterous act, every affair first began with a lustful desire rooted somewhere in the human heart. Now, now sometimes that's physical, right? Like, like that's clearly what Jesus is talking about here. It's a, it's a uh, seeking sexual fulfillment in someone that is not your spouse, right? That's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. But it doesn't, it's not always physical. There are such things as emotional affairs, right? To, to lust for or desire uh, or seek emotional fulfillment in someone that is not your spouse. Right? Both of those begin with a, with a lustful desire, a longing for something that is not yours, that God in his providence has not given to you. Right? And, and this is why Jesus is so adamant that we do whatever it takes to eradicate, eliminate the source of, of lust. This is what he says in verse 29, right? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The, the point is not self-mutilation. Right? The point is that we should be diligent to eliminate whatever the source of lust is in our hearts. Right? That's what, if you, you look at the language, right? He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, then tear it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Right? Whatever the source of temptation is, whatever the source of sin is, like we should be diligent to get rid of it. Okay, and so let's just get really practical here for a minute. All right, what, what does this look like in, in our lives, 21st century America today, to eradicate, eliminate, get rid of uh, the source of lust? Right, it may mean setting some stricter guidelines on the shows and movies and things that you watch or stream. Right, I, and we have a rule in our house where we just... Anything with, with nudity is just like, it's, it's just not allowed. Like it, and I, I know what that means. Like, the day is coming where I'm not going to be able to watch anything anymore. Right? I mean, I know that. Which I'm fine with. I'd rather read a book anyways. Okay? I would argue that we would be better off as a society if we read more and watched less. Right? But, uh, but there's a great book on that. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. You should read it. Um, Right, but, but maybe it's setting stricter guidelines on this stuff. Maybe it's um, maybe removing the source, the cause of lust for you is, is setting up some filters, some software on your computer, on your devices. Does anybody even use computers anymore? Um, we have them in our pockets now. Right, maybe it means setting up some software or filters that, that limits your internet activity or at least lets other people see what you're using or what you're using the internet for. 
Right? Maybe it means you need to delete some certain apps on your phone that are sources of temptation for you. Right? You want to get really crazy, maybe it means you just cut off internet access altogether. Right? How, how do you function in 21st century America without the internet? I don't know, but right? that might be the step you need to take. Right? Or, or again, you want to get crazy, maybe it means you get rid of the computer in your pocket, the smartphone, and you go back like circa 2003 and get that flip phone. You know what I'm talking about? My kids think flip phones are like the coolest thing in the world. I'm like, they're really not. <laughs> but maybe that's, like, this is radical stuff, but maybe that's the radical step you need to take to get this out of your life. By the way, if you go to the flip phone, just be ready for some weird side glances. Because, listen, the only people that carry flip phones are, like, the drug cartel and hitmen, right? So, like, just be ready for that, right? But it's better that people think you're uh, Raymond Reddington from the blacklist than, than that your whole body goes into hell, right? Was that too far of an illustration? Maybe. Okay. Right. Or let's, let's get sort of out of the digital world. Let's get, like, physical. Maybe it means you need to transfer departments at work Maybe find a new job altogether because you feel yourself being physically or emotionally drawn towards someone that the Lord has not given to you because they're not your spouse. And listen, I know this is radical in a culture where, uh, man, the narratives that, that you see playing out in the, in the realms of, of sexuality, I know this is radical and old-fashioned and seems ridiculous, but that's the point. Right? Jesus says, cut it out, tear it out, cut it off, whatever you got to do. Right? It may make your life harder. It may make your life less convenient. It may make your life more difficult. Right? But if we could paraphrase what Jesus says, it's better to miss out on the latest movie or show. Uh, it's, it's better to miss out on all the cool features of your phone. It's better to miss out on what's happening uh, on social media. It's, it's better to go without internet access. It's better to carry around a phone from 20 years ago than it is that your whole body be cast into hell. It's supposed to be radical. That's Jesus' point here. Now, before we move on and talk a little bit about divorce, let me say this. The point is not to just sin less. Like, that's not the goal. That is a goal. That's not the goal. Right? The, the goal is not to just sin less. The goal is to love Jesus like, so much with such a zeal that the draw of, of sin and temptation, like, it just doesn't compare to what Jesus offers you. Right? The, the, goal is to, the goal is that you would love Jesus Jesus Christ in such a way that, that sin over time gradually loses its power. Right? But, but here's what I know. You can't just make yourself love Jesus more. Right? Like you can't talk yourself into that. You, you can't coach yourself into, I'm just going to love Jesus more today. And that be enough. But here's what you can do. You can set up the date day after day after day, and it begins 
by eliminating anything that would distract you from him. Right? Eradicating anything that would distract you from growing uh, your affections for Jesus. Right? You eliminate it. You cut it out. You get rid of the source of, of distraction, of temptation, of sin. And you give yourself to uh, I mean, get your face in the word. You plead with the spirit of God to transform your heart. Right? That's how you grow in your affection for Jesus. Right? But a lot of times it begins by cutting off the source of temptation and the source of distraction. So, now, let's turn our attention because Jesus, he starts with lust, but he doesn't end there because he goes on, he's going to talk about divorce. So let's read it again, verse, verses 31 and 32. It says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So once again, as has been the pattern so far, Jesus takes this, this Old Testament law. Now this one's not part of the Ten Commandments, but if you go back to the De- book of Deuteronomy... Uh, there's lots of writing there about divorce and you know, certificates of divorce and when that's permissible. Right? And so that's kind of the context that Jesus is, is writing into here. Uh, but, but actually what Jesus says here is really kind of a synopsis of, a, of a, com- a bigger conversation he has with some Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19. So I'm going to read through that and walk through it quickly. If you want to turn there, you can. It's Matthew chapter 19, um, starting in verse 3. It says this, And Pharisees came up to him, Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful, lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? All right, so for context, you got Pharisees asking this question to Jesus. Long story short, the Pharisees had, uh, had come up with some absurd provisions for allowing divorce. Right, or issuing these, these certificates of divorce. And it was on the basis of, of uh, any indecency discovered in a spouse. And that, uh, I use the word indecency because they took a very liberal approach to what could be considered an indecency. For example, I'm not making this up. This is like historical record. The Pharisees believe that if a woman burnt her husband's food that could be grounds for divorce. Men, don't, nope, don't look, don't, don't look next, don't look next to you, just eyes ahead. I'm trying to save you, okay? Don't say anything, no amens. Right? It was absurd, right? Like, not only was a well-done steak a, a, a crime against cows everywhere, a, it's grounds for divorce, in first century Jerusalem, right? It's evidence for the divorce court. And so Jesus takes aim at their like, incredibly liberal use of, of this indecency. And he says this in verse 4. It says, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So this is 
Jesus going back to the beginning. And he says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus is making his appeal to the Pharisees on the basis that, that from the beginning, this is like Genesis 2, like from the beginning, it was God who instituted, ordained, initiated marriage. It's God's idea. And if God designs and initiates and institutes it, then man does not have the authority to break it. Right? But then the Pharisees see what they think is a loophole in Jesus' reasoning. In verse 7, it says, They said to him, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? In other words, if, if divorce is permissible, then, or if, if divorce is not permissible, then why did Moses allow it, Jesus? And here's what he says in verse 8. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So that's essentially what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Right, Jesus' point here is, so the Pharisees said, well, why did Moses command divorce? And Jesus is like, no, 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 Moses didn't command divorce. Moses offered it as a concession because of your hardness of heart. Right? From the beginning, this was not the case. Right? And the, and the, listen, the point of the sermon this morning is not to cover the full basis of, of if and when uh, divorce is permissible. Right? There are pages in Scripture that, that I would say they do they do allow for divorce in certain very specific instances. And that, but here's, that's a conversation that's much better had sitting across from one another in a room where there's room for dialogue and conversation and let's figure out what's going on here. So the point of the sermon this morning is not, is not to say when is divorce permissible, when is it not permissible. The point this, this morning is that, is that divorce even when it's permissible, it's, it's a departure from God's good design. Right? It, it's, it's a departure from that. And while, again, there, there are cases where it's permissible, the overwhelming majority of, of divorces, this is not exhaustive, but the overwhelming majority can, find, can be rooted back in just the hardness of the human heart. Right? The hearts that are not satisfied with who God has given us or where we are in life or, or, or what God has, has given to us. Right? The overwhelming majority of divorces are rooted back in, in that, a desire for, a lust for, a desire for something different than what God in his, his good providence has, has given to us. Right, that's, that's where most of it's rooted. And, and in those situations, and when it's just the, the hardness of heart that, that results in divorce, Jesus is going to come and say, and this is an act of ad adultery. It's a departure from God's good design. And again, in a culture where, 
The divorce rate's hovering 40 and 50 percent. I know that's unpopular. And, and again, it's not lost on me the reality of what exists in this room. Whether we've experienced it ourselves or we've got family that have, have walked through that, like I know that. That has weighed on me this week in, in ways that I don't even know how to explain to you. But, but I'm just bound by the word of God to tell you that, that this is the case. This is the truth. But I'm also bound by the word of God to tell you that if you're here and you're feeling the weight of, of sin and shame related to adultery, whether it's lust or divorce, I'm also bound by the word of God to tell you that it's not the unforgivable sin. Right? It, it's, it is sin, but it's sin that Jesus died on the cross to forgive and atone for, that through faith in Jesus Christ we might be cleansed from all our sin and unrighteousness, past, present, future. All right, so I want, let me illustrate this with a, it's a story from Jesus' life. Um, it's in John chapter 8. I'm just going to give you the, the paraphrase. One of the more, I think, compelling, beautiful stories of Jesus' ministry. Um, there is a, a woman that, uh, well, let me back up. Jesus is teaching in the temple. Um, and, and while he's teaching, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, some of the religious leaders, they, they drag in this woman into Jesus' midst who's been caught in adultery. Right? That's what my translation says, caught in adultery. Um, implying she'd been caught in the act of adultery. Right? Let him who has ears hears what that, hear what that means, right? And so they bring this woman into uh, this public venue and say, Jesus, this woman has been caught in adultery. She has no defense to make, right? She's guilty. Right? There, there's no working around it. Like, like she's been caught in adultery. And they say, the law says that we should stone this woman. What do you say? And then Jesus crouches down and he starts to draw in the sand and write in the sand. Who knows what he was drawing? We don't know. People like to speculate, but we don't know what he was drawing. All right, and then Jesus stands back up and he looks at the crowd that, that drugged this woman in to publicly humiliate her. And he says, all right, well, how about... Whichever of you is without sin, why don't you go ahead and cast the first stone? And the text says that one by one, they began to walk away. It also adds this little note that beginning with the oldest, they walked away. I think that seems insignificant, but I don't know about you. Like the older you get, the more you realize just how sinful your heart really is. So one by one, they, they drop their stones and they walk away. And then, so it's Jesus and this woman left here, just them. And Jesus looks at this woman and he says, Woman, where are your, accuser, your accusers? Has, has no one condemned you? Right? And remember, this woman is, this is like the height of her shame and humiliation. Right, she's been drugged out into public, probably still trying to cover herself up. And Jesus says, hey, does, 
where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? And she looks around and, and there's no one. She's like, Lord, no, no one condemns me. And then Jesus looks at her and says, neither do I. Neither do I. The Savior of the world meets this woman in the depths of her shame and embarrassment and sin, not with condemnation, but with grace and mercy. So they don't condemn you, neither do I. But then he also calls her to repentance. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Right? If, if you're here this morning and you feel any ounce of shame for what Jesus would consider adultery, maybe it's, maybe it's lustful desires that you've just been feeding for a long time, right? maybe it's, it's the history of a, of a divorce that didn't play out the way that it should have. If you're feeling any ounce of of shame for your, your sin, then I want you to know that Jesus moves towards you with grace and mercy and compassion. Right? Not because what happened was okay or that you should continue in that, right? but because in his life, death, resurrection, he offers you forgiveness. He offers you mercy. He offers you grace if you would come to him through faith in Jesus Christ all of your sin is forgiven. All right, the most embarrassing parts. And, it, and I love this story of, of the woman at the well, but as I was thinking through this this week, it hit me again. You go back to, to John chapter 4. The very first person, at least as we know as recorded, that Jesus reveals himself to as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The woman at the well in John 4. Do you know what her story was? She'd had five husbands, and the woman that she, or the man that she was sleeping with was not even her husband. The first person that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah and Savior of the world to is a woman who's literally guilty of lust and divorce. And that's who Jesus chooses to say, I'm the Savior of the world. I'm here to, to, to give you uh, eternal life. But Jesus does call us to repentance. So yeah, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And so... Let me lay a couple of, of responses before you this morning. I know this is heavy, man. But let me lay a couple of, of responses before you this morning, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pray and, and land the plane, all right? The first one is this. If you are here and you are struggling with any sort of lustful desires or compulsions or addictions, then can I just plead with you? Tell somebody. Step into the light. I, I know that's hard. I know that's embarrassing. Right, but, and, and, and I know that in this moment, the enemy would convince you that you can beat it on your own. Right? Or, or the enemy would convince you that uh, 
the last time will be the last time. It won't happen again. Right? Or, or would convince you that, man, you can't tell anybody about that. Christians don't struggle with that. Christians don't sin that way. And I would just tell you the enemy is a liar. So if you're here and you're struggling, step into the light. Right? It, the enemy would love nothing more than for you to remain in the darkness, remain hidden, remain unknown. Because that's where sin grows, is in isolation. Right? And I think the Spirit of God would call you out of that, into the light. Because sin is almost always uh, killed in community with other people. Right? So, so do the radical thing. Yes, we want to cut off the source of our sin, but we want to invite others into uh, our sanctification journey. Right? That's, that's what community is. That's what the church is. Right? The church is not a place where you come and say, like, I've got it all together. I'm kind of awesome. It's a place where you should be able to, like the church should be a safe place to struggle. That's what the church is. So if that's you, invite somebody into your struggle. Right? And then, and then the other thing is this, and then we'll pray and be done. If you're here and your, your marriage is struggling, if you're here and your marriage is, like it's just on the rocks, man. There's tension and there's fighting, or, or maybe it's the other end of the spectrum. It's just like this sort of cold apathy you just, kind of like pass each other in the hallways, but don't talk to each other. Like you're just roommates, you know what I'm talking about? Invite someone into that. Again, this is the beauty of the church. This, you don't have to struggle alone. Right? You're not meant to. Right? Here's what I know. We're all over the map in here. Even a, a room is as small as this. I know... One, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage in this room. Two, I know for certainty that there are men and women in this room whose, whose marriages may be great now, but they weren't always so. And they would love to walk with you through that, pray with you, plead with you for your marriage. All I'm asking you to do is don't struggle alone. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to invite, ask the Holy Spirit to lead and prompt and convict and, uh, and just push us in whichever way he would want to. But what I would ask is just, and as you feel the Spirit, if you feel the Spirit tugging on your heart to respond in a certain way, then respond. All right? Respond. All right, let me invite you to stand with me. We'll pray together. Father, we come to you. Uh, we can be honest. It's a heavy word this morning. I believe that even in that space that you would work, maybe especially in that space you would work. And so, Spirit of God, I just ask that you would convict where there needs to be conviction. I pray that you would uh, comfort where there needs to be comfort. I pray that you would give men and women in this room courage to, to step out into the light where they need to. 
Lord, I, I pray that for the rest of us, if, if someone were to come to us and say, like, hey, I need help with this, would you give us the ability to just hear and listen and to respond in love and compassion? So, Lord, I just want to pray that as we, as we sing, that we would just allow you to do what you want to do in our hearts in this room. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.